The Retrograde Approach, Episode 3, our third part in our fellowship exam series. To another edition of the Retrograde Approach. I'm your host, Sam Farah, and I'm joined by my friend and yours, as always, Yogi Siva Kumaran. Yogi, how are you? Good evening, Sam. Uh, lovely to be here, and um, let's get straight into this. Uh, in today's podcast, um, we're going to complete the rest of the fellowship examination by talking about um, the, f- uh, the clinical decision making viva, the long and short cases that make up the rest of the exam. Uh, Sam, it's probably a, uh, an appropriate time to look at the um, clinical decision-making viva. Um, in my mind, um, the CDM viva station is probably the most difficult to prepare for and one that takes um, quite a lot of time in terms of the preparation for it. Um I always thought of it, the best way I thought about this station is that it, it's the best reflection of your day job. Um, it allows for the candidate to really demonstrate their understanding of the literature and an appreciation of the clinical complexity uh, that the question poses. And um, Sam, in terms of the exam structure itself, um, did you want to talk through what that actually involves? So the uh, CDM is, again, a 30-minute uh, station, consists of uh, three separate uh, decision-making scenarios. And in it, uh, like the other uh, sessions, you're presented with a PowerPoint uh, slide or PowerPoint presentation that has separate uh, slides on it with separate uh, questions and stems. So you you're presented with an initial uh, scenario. So um, I think our first one uh, last year, Yogi, was the uh, middle-aged to slightly older gentleman. I think uh, someone in their 60s with a juxtarenal aneurysm. And we essentially had to talk through our decision-making process about open versus endovascular surgery or how we would ultimately uh, work this patient up for an operation. After the initial discussion, um, you then moved on to a separate question about that scenario. Um, so during our clinical decision-making, the second scenario was on a, a five-year-old who had uh, an ischemic leg after a groin injury. And then basically um, the, the scenario would then move on to handling different problems and complexities that arose. So after dealing with the initial ischemic leg, you're then asked about how you may or may not reconstruct or how you may or may not uh, uh, deal with this patient on the table. Yes, and I, I think um, the, the viva itself, whilst it begins with a short stem, very quickly progresses. And as Sam has intimated, these scenarios allows for uh, much more complex decision-making uh, scenarios to be presented. Um, and I think it's often it's it's an appointing time to say that there really is no right or wrong answer to these cases, but just um, it really is about being able to enunciate a management plan 
but also being ready to justify uh, your strategy in managing a problem when faced with it. Um, and that really is the crux of it. Some people find this fiber station quite enjoyable because it's a reflection of their overall study. However, um, that that's debatable. I didn't find it particularly enjoyable. I don't know about you, Yogi. <laughs> I think I think that's yeah. I would I would concur there. Now, Sam, Sam, you and I um, put some time into preparing for this, and uh, in my mind, I really do think studying and preparing for the CDM is a real multimodal approach, like a diabetic foot. Um, really every clinical encounter during your final year of training is an opportunity to demonstrate your advanced level of thinking, which is really the, um, uh, the buzzword that's utilized here. Um, and the opportunities you do have within the workforce to prepare for your uh, CDM include running through your consults from your on call or your colleagues on call. Um, getting registrars to keep a list of consults and seeing them independently or looking at some images to allow that to facilitate a discussion, but also to think about all the options in management and why you would choose a particular one because it allows you to then prepare yourself um, for the station. Uh, using a radiology meeting to describe findings and management strategies are also an important way of potentially uh, developing this skill set and or a department meeting. But um, often you and I both found um, consultants who are happy to go back and reassess a clinical situation in retrospect and think about what they would do and why. And I think finally having a good study group to reevaluate any of these clinical scenarios, process them as questions and break them down into final deta- finer, finer details is really uh, an important strategy which you and I did quite a lot of um, just to sort of um, think about alternate strategies um, to do that. Um, Sam, I know that one of the important things that you talk about a lot when it comes to the CDM is uh, having some guidelines in the back of your mind to back up your opinion. And we both frequented the European American guidelines as well as the NICE guidelines to help back our, back our study plans. Yeah, I think a lot of the scenarios that you're presented with, as you sort of alluded to earlier, have no correct answer. So you may present the same scenario to 10 different vascular surgeons and you'll get five in one camp and five in the other. Uh, essentially, I guess what we're talking about here is clinical equipoise. But, um, you know, when you're really pushed on something and, uh, you know, you feel that you need something concrete to back up your decision, it's not unreasonable to... Um, fall back on guidelines. And so if someone challenges you on a, on a point, you can say, you know, uh, as per the European guidelines, that's a reasonable thing to do. However, I can appreciate that the treatment should be individualized for this particular patient. So I I do think those guidelines are are a very useful weapon to, to keep up your sleeve and uh, at, at, you know, a particular hairy moment during the CDM, you can pull um, one of those references out very easily to back up your point. Uh, just be very cautious with the use of guidelines. Um, and as Sam said, they do, um, whilst they can support an argument, I think it's important that the um, they are applied appropriately in the clinical situation that's presented to you. 
Um, I think the the follow-on from this is really about the approach to the question. Um, each stem uh, and, and the stems that are presented uh, allow you as the candidate to prepare ahead of time in terms of how you would approach a particular scenario. And um, the way I thought about this, and I'm sure Sam would agree, is that I, when faced with the CDM stems, I thought about putting myself in the emergency department or at the end of the phone call and thinking how I would manage this patient if it was just a normal day at work. And I think that's a useful strategy um, to visualize because it allows you under stress to, to get through these vibers. It's, your, it's the way I, it was my safety net. Um, I think with any of these stems, if they're off a controversial topic or an area of limited evidence, I think it's important that that's mentioned in the introduction to your response. Um, if it's a question that requires a description of operative technique, um, consider div dividing the answer into preoperative, intraoperative, and postoperative considerations. If it's a trauma-orientated um, CDM, I think it's important to think about your uh, emergency management or trauma principles and also being able to potentially categorize a patient according to guidelines or to a, a scoring system as that allows you to then determine their ongoing management. One in particular that comes to mind is like the mangled extremity score, Yogi. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, with trauma, um, there are multiple scoring systems to look at viability of, of a limb, for instance, um, uh, as well as, for instance, um, uh, descending thoracic aortic injury, um, blunt thoracic aortic injuries rather. And so uh, these are all worthwhile and part of your study being able to uh, have these scoring systems in the back of your mind as, as they would help you then generate flow, flow diagrams, which also makes this discussion easier as well. Um, finally, I think in, in STEMs that are based over an over operative situation, uh, such as events occurring in a concurrent theatre or within your own theatre, I think there's some very simple salient comments here to make that ensuring patient safety and stability is important, getting a grasp of the situation and then the assistance available and that will help determine your approach. Um, Sam, I think uh, we, we also prepared ourselves for uh, ethical or non-clinical question, um, whether that's bullying, harassment or helping out a, a colleague from an alternate specialty. And I think these non-technical questions will probably become more prevalent in the exam um, just because it's reflective of the overall development of a trainee. Yep. I think, uh, I, I know we mentioned this on a previous podcast, Yogi, but, you know, if you were presented with a problem and let's say you were particularly isolated and, you know, you didn't have anyone readily to call on, what would you actually do with that problem. So if, you, if you're presented with a five-year-old on table with an ischemic leg and perhaps other people are far away, obviously mention that you do want to ask for help or call for help, but how would you deal with that patient or that problem in a safe way if you were the first-year consultant or you were the consultant responsible? But I think if you really sort of run that, run that question through your own mind, you'll usually land on a fairly safe or hopefully on a fairly safe answer. Yeah, and I, and I think it, I think you make you make a very important point that as the exam ready candidate, you're really positioning yourself as a first year consultant. You're yeah. trying 
to really present yourself as a safe and competent surgeon. And I think that should be the fundamental goal of your exam response. Yep. A lot of these situations are um, potentially harrowing uh, in, in, if you're you know, faced with it um, head on. But that is the reality of the job that we fa- that we work in and um, getting yourself into the mindset of what is a safe approach to the problem is, is, is absolutely uh, poignant. On a similar point, you know, if you're suggesting something that you've never seen anyone do, that should be a red flag, I would say as well. So mm. if you're suggesting a procedure that you've never seen performed, then that's a concern. Uh, if you're asked by the examiner, would you really do that? I think that's also a red flag. So yeah, you need to be picking up on the cues as, as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think similarly, as you and I have spoke to, spoken about, when you're in the exam and the examiner is uh, either questioning your answer or asking you to really clarify your response, it often is a good time to stop, think, is is this the answer that is appropriate for this scenario? If it is, back yourself and go for it. However, it does give you the opportunity to think, reflect, and then poise yourself before uh, suggesting an alternate answer may be better. It actually demonstrates a degree of maturity in your response. Yeah. Before we move on, I just want to really emphasize that point you made earlier i think our most valuable study in preparation for the cdms was basically just calling each other every other day saying hey i saw this really interesting case at work what would you do with this yeah. i think you know just if you start doing that 12 months 18 months out from the exam by the time you get to the exam you've actually covered a lot of interesting and difficult problems and obviously you're not going to cover everything that will come up at the cdm but in your own mind, you'll develop a strategy for dealing with each difficult case. Yeah. You definitely don't need to agree on every single management plan that you come up with and and, and that, that of your colleagues. And you really do want to see, you do want to hear a broad church of answers because um, yeah, at the end of the day, there are, the beautiful thing about vascular surgery is that there is no one correct answer. It is... There are many ways to treat a problem, and I think that's the that's the fundamental aim of CDM. Um, so, demonstrate confidence, but don't really talk about or recommend crazy management strategies. I think that's yep. that's where things fall over. And then ask someone you trust as well. Um, hey, uh, I heard about this case over at uh, in Queensland. What would you do if you if you got this problem? And you'll hear a sort of wide array of solutions, and you'll take you'll take a bit away out of every suggestion or management plan that people suggest to you. Yeah. I mean, uh, just as a final note, I think the CDM, the best analogy of a CDM is like those pick your own adventure books when you were a child, depending on which page you turn to, you'll end up with a different scenario. Yep. Uh, Did you quote any evidence during your CDM? Uh. To be honest with you, I don't think I genuinely had time and none of the topics, at least from last year, required a specific discussion of evidence. But yep. I think it's I think it is worthwhile having um it in the back of your mind. Um and I think, you know, 
being able to back yourself and demonstrate confidence in why you're doing that, I think is important. Yep. Should we move on to the uh, long cases? Yeah, I think that would be a useful strategy. Yeah. So I think it's fair to say that the uh, long case um, feels like a fairly uh, intense part of the exam. Um, I know afterwards I felt physically drained. And uh, although it's 40 minutes, it, it goes in a flash and uh, it, it can feel quite intense uh, going through it. Did you have similar feelings, Yogi? Yeah, so um, compared to previous iterations of the fellowship exam in more recent years, uh, we've gone from a two long case structure to a single long case, which means there's a lot of emphasis in ensuring that your performance in the single long case is as optimal as possible. Um, I think it's the the difficulty in our in our sitting last year with COVID is that it was difficult to standardise the sort of um, um, patient that was introduced for that long case. And so state to state, there was varying degrees of difficulty. However, I think the examiners are well aware of that and um, they do appreciate that there won't be a consistent type of patient available for all states. But um, it is the most taxing as it is uh, 40 minutes really of a continuous discussion um, at the end of the day in terms of um, preparing uh, an appropriate summary and discussion points for a pathology and then a subsequent interrogation of that data. Yeah. So just running through the general structure, overall, the whole session is 40 minutes. There's 20 minutes of history and examination with some of that 20 minutes needing to be devoted to formulating a summary and plan. So generally what most people do, they will um, spend 10 minutes taking a history from the patient six minutes examining and roughly four minutes formulating a problem list and a subsequent uh, management plan. Did you use a similar formula, Yogi? Yeah, I did. I think uh, on the day you'll find there'll be variations between the lot. Um, in both our exams, we had access to some form of timing uh, device to allow us to have some appreciation of the time frame. But I think as an exam-ready candidate, um, preparing yourself is important uh, and timing yourself uh, can give you a better appreciation of what those time frames are like. Um, the four to six minutes that you leave at the end allows you to go back and revise certain points of history uh, whilst you're also coming up with your final discussion as well. Um, Sam, I think it's an appropriate point also then to talk about how you went about actually physically doing the um, history and examination and what that actually entails from a more practical point of view. Yeah, so as we'll mention in a moment, but um, preparation involves doing lots of practice and the more you practice the long case, um, you continue to refine your technique. But uh, right before the exam, our general structure would be to start... Um, with a fairly open-ended question. It's possible that the patient you will have during the long case may be an inpatient if they're 
the examiners are struggling to find someone or someone's pulled out. But um, if, pardon me, if not, it will generally be an outpatient and uh, more or less I would start with a fairly open-ended question such as why do you see a vascular surgeon? I would really avoid saying things like what brings you here today, et cetera, because you need to be fairly direct and avoid any ambiguity during the exam as you're very time pressured. Once uh, they give you that answer, you will then have a rough idea as to what the main problem will be. And they'll usually say something like, I see a vascular surgeon because of the problem uh, with the arteries in my leg or the arteries in my neck or uh, perhaps something a bit more um, uh, uncommon. But after you do that, you want to take a focus history around the problem. And then from that, you want to move to a fairly detailed vascular history. So you want to ask about previous vascular procedures, previous vascular interventions, angiograms. You want to elicit all of that. It looks very silly if you working someone up for rest pain and you miss the opportunity to ask them about common iliac stents, etc. I would then move into past medical history and within the past medical history for vascular patients, I, I included smoking. I think that's uh, relevant and you want to ask them again, absolutely, you know, everything that you can think of such as malignancy, immune problems, chronic infections, rheumatological conditions and respiratory problems and, and obviously uh, cardiac problems. Now, obviously all this is quite detailed and I would preface all this to the patient by saying, I may at some point ask you a series of yes, no questions just as we're time pressured. And then I would just ask them, you know, yes, no, have you ever seen a cardiologist before about anything? And then that way you can move through quite a lot um, without taking up too much time. So far, so good, Yogi? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, uh, the one of the important things that you will practice uh, as you go through your long case preparation is the sort of questions you want to ask in your medical history. And often it's also the risk factor profile assessment as well. Um, you and I both had a checklist that we would go through yeah. on the day. Uh, and that would that would hopefully get through the large content of that. Um, Sam, um, you and I also had a very similar structure in terms of the actual documentation of all of this information because yeah. uh, you're you're time pressured and you're trying to get all this information succinctly down. Yeah. Um, could you talk through how you went about putting this information into a systematic approach for the day? So. There is uh, a bit of um, ambiguity about how it will occur on the day, but I think, first of all, you will get a piece of paper. Um, in previous years, we've heard that candidates have been able to write on it. Um, and certainly during AVT, I was able to write on uh, the paper before I went into the station, but I would just assume that you'll only get access to a blank piece of paper. Most people will then fold it into either... Uh, uh, six squares or eight squares, and then basically devote each of those squares to history presented complete, uh, past vascular history, past medical history, past surgical history, medications, allergies, family history, social history, 
and then one for uh, management plan and issues. As you do more practice, you'll find what works for you. But generally, um, you know, you, you need to be, especially for the long case, you need to make sure you don't miss any of the major themes like uh, major social problems or uh, major family history that may or may not be relevant. Yeah, and, and I think the the use of the A4 page divided into those squares uh, allows you to be systematic about it. Um, when you then proceed on to doing the clinical examination, this is often the point where you can make up time, especially if you've taken a bit longer to take the history. Um, a succinct exam um, can take um, somewhere between five and five to six minutes, and often this can be abridged if you need to get through some content um, and also prepare for the summary itself. Um, the, the easiest way of thinking about your approach is really to uh, do what you would do day to day, starting peripherally, working centrally, and working from top to bottom to do so. Um, remember in the exam, um, if there are certain things that you would want, um, you can you can uh, elaborate on that and the examiner may be able to fill certain things in. However, if you do ask for a blood pressure, you'll often be obliged to then take that blood pressure. Uh, and that may be a relevant aspect of your assessment, particularly is there any utility in doing bilateral upper limb blood pressures versus unilateral blood pressures, for instance. Um, I, as part of the long case, um, I think it is important that you enunciate the clinical findings that come along the way so that the examiners know that you have actually examined that part of the body. Um, if you're silent through the examination, uh, there really is no appreciation of what you've done or not done. Um, and I think that makes the, the examination process that much more difficult for you. Yep. You really want to be doing sort of a very good, um, almost medical student level examination of like you would do for like a major medical student OSCE of, um, you know, respiratory system, cardiovascular system as you go through it and make sure you're just doing, you know, the major things very well. Like you obviously could take a blood pressure very, you look very slick when you take your blood pressure, you look very comfortable, you know, listening to the heart sounds, you're not looking like, unfortunately, like many of it, like the reality may be that we haven't really done a lot of it since medical school, but you just want to have that sort of tally and O'Connor level of examination down Pat, you want to look very slick doing it. Yeah. I think, again, this is where practice is important because it allows you to revert back to a strategy or technique that you've, um, that you've utilized day in, day out. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be exhaustive. Like you don't actually have to, you know, um, do a hepatojugular reflex, but, you know, you want to just be doing the, the, the main things very well, like just having a listen listening to the heart sounds yeah plus also anything that's specifically relevant to the disease process yes yeah once you've done with your clinical examination um you would hopefully have a few minutes um hopefully in the ballpark of about four minutes to then put together your um clinical history and examination into a succinct summary which you're then able to um 
generate uh, a story um, which will help then lead the discussion in the next 20 minutes. Uh, often once your 20 minutes is off, you're then led from the room into a separate room where the discussion of the long case begins. So this is where um, things can get uh, slightly interesting, I suppose. Um, you're usually asked by the examiners to present your findings, in which case I would encourage, well, at the end of the day, with a lot of what we're saying, there's, we don't actually know what the right or wrong answer is. All we can reflect on is what we did. But um, generally we started off by saying, uh, you know, uh, this is a 68-year-old female with symptomatic carotid disease and short-distance cortication in the setting of malignancy. So you want to, again, you want to just give that really good, almost medical student-type presentation. And then you want to walk the examiners through the salient parts of the history. And then I think we both sort of thought it would be good then to just summarize the main issues. Number one, symptomatic carotid disease. Number two, the claudication. Number three, the cancer. Number four, no social supports. And then um, we would then follow that up by our suggested management plan and just go through each of those main themes very carefully and just say what we would suggest uh, or what, what out particular plan for that problem was. Yeah. And I think this is where you demonstrate confidence to the examiner, where you can continue to discuss um, issues from the patient's presentation uh, sensibly and safely um, and demonstrate uh, your advanced level of thinking uh, as you sort of progress through this. Um, as you then propose various modalities of investigation, often these are then available to the examiner, which they will present to you and ask you to interpret what's been presented to you, um, which gives you, uh, again, a, another opportunity to uh, demonstrate a skill set, particularly in the interpretation of investigations. And then at that point, if you say, okay, for this symptomatic carotid, I'd like to start with a carotid duplex and a CT uh, angiogram, head and neck, and circle of Willis, they'll go, okay, well, here it is, walk us through it. And then it almost can turn into an imaging fiber in a way. The long case is really about demonstrating your clinical acumen with a reflection of your knowledge base in vascular surgery, both of the pathophysiology and the clinical manifestations. The examiners are going to try and tease out your appreciation of the nuances. Um, if you, I think, if you approach this sensibly, I think you can demonstrate your skill set appropriately, and I think that's what you should aim to do as you approach this uh, this station. To uh, sum up this podcast, um, let's move on to the the short case section. Um, the short case is a rapid fire um, exam multiple stations with multiple different vascular pathologies um, and both intimidating but also really fascinating because you get to see some very interesting things placed in front of you. Would that be your recollection of the short case? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I, I don't want to say it's, it was fun, but it was the, the short cases are uh, to some degree enjoyable in terms of you actually get the collection of all the good patients uh, from from 
that particular hospital's outpatient department and uh, you get to see them uh, within 35 minutes and you'll see some uh, pretty good cases. But the general structure is 35 minutes, uh, you get five minutes with each shore case. Uh, obviously, then that means you see seven patients in total. The way that I was told to approach this, which I thought was useful, was yeah, if you were a consultant on a ward round and you walked into a patient's room and you saw, you know, a particular problem, how would you approach that in, you know, five minutes? You know, you would have an end of the bed impression and then based on that, you would have a rough idea of what's to do, what, what you need to do. So you would see, you know, a foot with some gangrene. You can obviously tell from that particular moment that there's most likely a perfusion problem. Yeah, and I think um, I, I think that's a great analogy. And so the reflection of that in the exam is as you walk into the room, uh, it would be to begin by saying the most obvious finding here is X and that would then lead on to some short poignant questions before further examination to clarify that. Often you will find that if you ask too many questions, the examiners will redirect you to the patient to actually perform the exam, which is the whole purpose of the of the station itself. Yep. So our general structure was, as you said, Jogi, uh, the most obvious finding here is uh, venous ulcer. I can see hemosiderin deposition, atrophy blanched. Uh, the ulcer is shallow. Uh, the borders over and you just want to go through that process of just saying what it looks like, why you think it looks like that. And then you want to say, I would like to do X start by feeling for pedal pulses. Okay. Perfusion is good. I want to stand the patient up for varicose veins. You would then do that and say, I want to do a venous incompetence study. Here it is. And then after that short period of time, I short case, they'll say, what do you want to do? Yeah, just just I guess the, the the most important thing that you've touched on there is that the examination doesn't necessarily run the same peripheral to central approach that you would have taken with the long case, but it's an examination of the area of interest locally and often works peripheral to central um, because it is really trying to you're trying to get uh, the best bang for your buck in, in this sort of examination style. You've got, you'll find that you'll do a fair amount of talking in the short cases. Um, and, uh, and I definitely found that I was doing a lot of rapid talking through my short cases. Yep. And you will also get um, almost mini CDM type questions. So they may ask you, okay, uh, patient's got uh, asymptomatic carotid. What would you do with that? And you would just, you may just be asked to briefly talk about that. So be prepared to have to, uh, it's not just about the examinations. There is some involved. There is some involvement in terms of the discussion. And also sometimes the examination is very straightforward. I, I just had a patient there with a carotid scar and we just spent the whole station more or less talking about the duplex. So um some are very examination heavy, some are not so examination heavy. So just be prepared um, for either or. And I should also mention that there are some cases in a short case that aren't as straightforward as a venous ulcer or diabetic foot or a fistula. 
you may be encounter or you may encounter a patient who's obviously had previous surgery. But I think we sort of term this scarology yogi, but it's basically looking at the incisions and there seems to be this sort of this sort of type of showcase that floats around where you where the examiner will ask you, what do you think has happened? And you just got to try and put it all together. It's usually not too difficult, but if you haven't practiced it, I can imagine it would be a bit uh, unnerving. Um, yeah. Yes. The, pra- the practice of scarology is, um, is difficult. Um, I definitely had a forearm ABG with a radial artery inflow and a basilic outflow with scars on uh, various aspects of the arm, which um, initially when confronted with can be quite um, sort of uh, is sort of concerning initially as to what your actual differential is, but taking a minute, take a brief, deep breath in and reevaluate the problem. Um, and that allows you to sort of put some sense into it. Needless to say, if you haven't hit it with the first differential, the examiners will continue to guide you um, because uh, they are really trying to get a sense of your appreciation of various various pathologies. One of the important things to mention is in our examination, uh, each short case was five minutes long. So at five minutes, there was a, a bell or a buzzer and you got moved on. Um, so the, the examiners will spend a fixed for, a portion of time on each short case. And just briefly on the um, be prepared to expose the patient. So if you see you know, groin incisions, look at the abdomen, make sure there's no midline laparotomy consistent with an aorta bifemoral bypass. Check the axilla. Say you're looking for any evidence of an axillofemoral bypass. Make sure you're feeling where you, the grafts may be tunneled. So along the side of the, or along the side of the uh, abdomen and the chest, and obviously above the uh, uh, pubic symphysis for a femfem crossover, if appropriate. So just, go through that process of making sure you don't miss any major uh, incisions that may give you some clues. Usually the examiners will redirect you again in most of these scenarios. However, um, listen to cues and be ready to redirect yourself if required. And just remember five minutes is over. So I, I tended to, I felt that at the time that the difficult questions um, would start to arise after five minutes. That's maybe because we sort of had finished the station. So they were just trying to test, uh, test my knowledge, but at five minutes or close to five minutes, you may find a difficult or curly question arrives, arise. If the bell rings and you haven't answered, just move on. I think it's also fair to say in preparation for the short cases, you can generally make a list of the total cases that you'll encounter and, and that will help you prepare. Um, it's probably uh, very reasonable to expect a, a diabetic foot or some form of ulceration, a fistula um, pathology arising from recent neck surgery, whether that's a carotid endorectomy or a crowbody tumour. But also think about the more um, uh, eponymous presentations uh, such as Kippel Tronay or, um, or even... Uh, crest as a uh, as considerations to prepare for um, because these are patients that are uh, reasonably accessible in the community often have chronic problems and are not always acute inpatients yeah so yeah that's good advice yoga in terms of preparing I, so we basically made a list upper limb lower limb head and neck 
abdomen. And if you go through all those parts of the or regions of the body, you'll realize that uh, for, for our specialty, there's actually only so many things that are likely to arise. So obviously upper limb, fistula, previous upper limb bypass, crest, um, all those things are the, uh, the extent of or the majority of cases that you may encounter. So if you just go through everything systematically, you can more or less just generate a list of most sure cases that you may encounter. Yeah. And I think Sam, you and I also did a lot of preparation for the short, short cases over zoom. Yeah. Uh, Cause it allowed uh, each other just to have a look at some pictures online and yep. describe uh, the relevant clinical findings to each other, which I think is an also important strategy to consider. Yeah. Especially during uh, the current uh, COVID uh uh, world we live in. Um, I think, you know, traditionally previous exam candidates would go from one hospital to another and uh, would someone from one hospital would uh, take the other candidates through their inpatients and, and they would then reciprocate. But now obviously that it's probably not possible. So that was our strategy to deal with the uh, COVID climate. And I guess uh, on that point, um, you know, I had to do the exam with a, a mask and shield. So if that may be relevant for where you're about to sit the exam, I would strongly encourage you to practice um, short cases and long cases with uh, suit on, mask on, shield on, gloves, just so you, you know, on the day you don't feel uh, a bit overwhelmed with the personal protective equipment. Or just come up to Queensland, you can just do the exam normally. Or just come to Queensland. <laughs> Now, we do love our Victorian cousins. They're fine. All right, Yogi. Well, I think that's a fairly uh, thorough look at uh, the fellowship exam in vascular surgery. I think on that point, we should uh, wrap up this three-part series on the exam and then uh, hopefully next week move on to something new and exciting. Yeah, look, I think um, to, to our new listeners, we do thank you for the opportunity to uh, – hopefully provide a summary of our experience of the fellowship exam, which was both nerve wracking, but also a real tangible endpoint to our training. Um, Sam and I both see this um, format as a way of uh, returning back to some innovative discussion within the Australasian environment uh, for topics um, that are of interest to trainees and fellows alike. And um, we do really uh, hope to bring you more exciting an interesting content going forward, um, both in discussion of pathology, but also of recent evidence. Um, and that would be our plan um, into the future. Yogi, if people want to find us, where can they uh, track us down? We are on the World Wide Web at vascular.fm. Um, alternatively, you can find the podcast both on Spotify and also on Apple Podcasts. Um, and we're also on Twitter uh, with the handle at vascularfm. 